Welcome to the Amazon Legends Podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. And today's episode, we have a, 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 an amazing lady, and uh, he's actually very active in a space that everybody loves. But really, you know, they say if you're going to start a business, make sure that you start in something that you feel passionately about. And she's the, the, the ultimate example of this. So, uh, so my guest is Kia, Kia Hagen. And Kia is the founder and director of Pacific Pups Rescue, which is a foundation. And also that led its way to founding Pacific Pups products. So um, she's been on Amazon, and but Kia is a longtime animal advocate. And um, she simply started the company as a result of her passion in dealing with animals so, um, so typically, I start the show by asking, tell me something you're really good at. But really, Kia has completely stuck to old school. Instead of thinking about keywords, products, who to source from, what price and what systems, she completely ignored that and had a totally different approach. And so, Kia, tell us what that approach was and why, why did you have that approach and how did it benefit you? Sure. Well, hi, Nick. Thank you so much for having me on. That was a great introduction. Um, yeah. So as you said, we kind of, um, uh, my business is with uh, my fiance, who's my partner in this. And we both kind of uh, like to describe it as like an old school approach. So we're very big into relationships and uh, building and forming um, and maintaining strong relationships with the vendors um, or anyone that could be an integral part of our business. Um, so for example, um, our sourcing agent. So, you know, being an Amazon seller, we have a sourcing agent, as I'm sure um, most do. Um, we've met her personally. She's come out to visit us personally. We've put her up in our house. Um, and how her relationship has benefited us is uh, she just, you know, we have this whole trusting relationship now. We, we totally trust her and her opinions on everything. And she trusts us as well. So she'll even, you know, go as far as fronting us merchandise, shipping it over here. And uh, we don't have to pay her until basically we want to pay her. Um, so that's been really, really great, um, especially in, you know, high peak times and things where we need a lot of merchandise sent over. Um, but so many relationships like that, we've built like our freight forwarder, we've, you know, flown across the country to meet him in person. Um, some of our, uh, our Amazon team that we outsource, uh, we actually just went on an Amazon cruise. It was called uh, the Amazon sellers cruise. And uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, Nick, his name is Carlos Alvarez. He is uh, the founder of wizards of e-commerce podcast and meetup groups. So he threw this cruise, just brought a whole bunch of Amazon sellers and a whole bunch of people in the Amazon space agencies and things like that on. And we got to personally meet so many amazing people that we're now, uh, we built these great relationships with, you know, stuck on a boat for eight days with people. Um, and now we just have this very trusting relationship already. So it sounds, I mean, you said so many things here that are so significant. First of all, let's, let's break it down. Um, so obviously you manufacture outside the US, right? Correct. So that means that you are not dealing directly with a factory, so to speak, but you have a production agent. That is correct, yes. So first tell us about why you, you need a production agent and, and how do you find one? Well, we actually found her um, just kind of searching around um someone had introduced us to the amazon space and had introduced us to a couple sourcing agents um and from there we just kind of started I, this is a few years ago we just kind of started finding new sourcing agents and we've stuck with using them as opposed to um as opposed to doing it ourselves because it just seems so much easier they know the language they have a relationship with these factories. Um, they have a relationship. You know, we need to go source certain materials. You know, we're in the pet industry. So we need to have safe, non-toxic materials. And 
for us being over here, I mean, we're in Los Angeles, trying to find some, you know, safe materials in China can be really difficult, especially with the language barrier and obviously the distance. So having, um, having a sourcing agent there who knows the language, like I said before, has uh, relationships with the factories, knows where to find these materials, how to safety test them over there. I mean, it's just, it's just made things so much easier for us. And also another thing you mentioned is the financing of the inventory, especially during peak times. So to have somebody like that watching your back and when these peaks occur without anticipating, because with Amazon, you never know what's going to happen when those peak times. Definitely. <laughs> so, so that's a big deal. I mean, you really, you, you secure the most important relationship right at the top of the supply chain, so to speak. For sure. And, and also that kind of translates, like I mentioned, we you know flew across the country to meet our freight forwarder as well. I mean, I'm, sh I'm sure you know, and a lot of people are hating right now, like the shipping costs from China to here are just insane. And the shipping times are insane. They'll, you know, they'll bump your container off the boat that it's already on because somebody else paid more for your space. And then it gets here and it just sits there. Um, so with our freight forwarder as well, he's kind of the same way. You know, we have this relationship with him. We visit him every time we're there, uh, you know, in his in his neck of the woods. Um, same thing. Like he's not, you know, honest. We're not going to, you know, ship this for you unless you pay us now. He also knows like he trusts us. He knows we'll pay him. So it's the same thing in these peak seasons or right now when it's just super hard to get stuff over here. Um, you know, he he trusts us and he works hard to get it over here. Um you know, in peak season two, and we have to bring in multiple containers. Um, and he just knows that we will, um, you know, we'll, we'll pay him when, when we can. He trusts us and we trust him. So uh, this is a, we never actually covered this aspect of it, but I used to be in transportation business. So I'm oh. familiar with how challenging freight forwarding business can be. Or I can't even imagine. Can be. Yeah. So, so um, tell us the best practice in terms of who is responsible for the freight, because there are two, there are several ways that you, mm -hmm. that gets paid, but um, essentially it's it's just two types. Either you contract with the factory all in, you want a landed price, and then you just clear customs here, or you say no, give me a price delivering to the boat or whatever that, that I'm going to designate and I'll pay the freight. So that obviously the second one gives you control over who you're going to use and you know what kind of costs are involved. You can negotiate your way, but at the same time, obviously you have to factor that into your pricing. Uh, whereas the first one is it's all in, you think it's, it's all included, but not necessarily because you lose control. So what is what is the best practice that you found over the years? So I we do prefer to do, you know, the way we've been doing it where we we are in control of our own, you know, freight forwarding. Um, I would say probably the one negative to that is our our shipping costs are always changing. They're never constant. So you know when someone says what's your cost of goods, okay, I can tell you exactly what it costs to manufacture it, but every time we ship it, it's going to be a different it's going to be a different cost. Um, so, but besides that, I mean, we do love that we have this person that really we feel has our back, um, and will work really hard to, you know, a lot of like, especially right now they're, they're bumping containers like crazy when people are um, like off boats, when people come in and willing to pay a higher price to get their goods out faster. So, you know, they're constantly working for us. They're constantly fighting for us. And I don't know that we would have that if we contracted directly with the factory i don't know that we'd have somebody really fighting for us to get our to get our goods on board and over here yeah i mean uh, it's obviously i mean it's a, the person is working for you right you pay mm -hmm. the, you pay the agent so uh, that's a big advantage they, they, they your agent is your eyes and ears yes definitely yeah so uh and then you mentioned this this cruise tell us a little bit about this cruise uh, that's not an amazon venture is it this is just outside just like trade shows and things basically yeah so i guess there's this group of awesome people we actually just met them for the first time uh you know we listened to um yeah the amazon um I'm sorry, the Wizards of E-Commerce podcast before. So we kind of like got to know some familiar names um, over and over again. And um, we found out they were doing this cruise. So, you know, this 
obviously not the whole cruise, but like a big chunk of the cruise were Amazon sellers and they did conferences. Um, so all the days that we were out at sea was conference days. So there were sellers going up there. There were, you know, people who specialize in marketing or listing optimizations or PPC, um, you know, all different, all different uh, companies just going up and pitching a little bit about their companies and, and just what the importance of what they do is. Um, but what was so great was we met them in that business sense, but because we're all on this boat together um, for eight days floating in the Caribbean, you get to know everyone on this personal level. Um, so coming off that boat, like I just feel like we met a lot of friends, um, but also a lot of you know great Amazon contacts moving forward. We've already been in contact with um, even uh, you know like with we've been talking to people for like listing optimization and things like that. But also we've met people who we feel like we can team up with and, you know, start a whole new product line in our business. So there's just so many different relationships that can be formed in situations like that. Well, you, you are, a, you, you are the ultimate networker. <laughs> it seems like. <laughs> so, I mean, but this is a, this is a, I've, I've heard about cruises, but usually this is for like fortune 500 type companies and, big deals but uh, for e-commerce it's a good idea whoever came up with it and of course you said eight days right so it's a long time it's a captive audience <laughs> exactly you can't go anywhere no. so you better hope you like everyone you're on that boat <laughs> with <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's the, the that's the thing about being on a boat uh, how many people usually on a boat uh, for the Amazon conference, there were um, out of the whole, I don't know how many people are on the boat in total, though it was only at 50% capacity, this boat, um, I guess, COVID restrictions. Yeah. Um, there was 143 of us at the conference. There was actually supposed to be 700, um, but then they started implementing more and more COVID restrictions. So more and more people kind of dropped out um, of going last minute. So there were 143 of us. And I did feel like I got to meet everyone. And I know it's a big number. But um, we just, I got to have conversations and learn a little bit about everyone's businesses, whether they were sellers or um, agencies. Yeah. Uh, Eight yeah. days is a long time. You, you, you get to know everybody. That, you do. <laughs> so, uh, so the moral of the story is, you know, forget about systems, focus on the relationships first. And you never know what will be around the corner, right? That's been our motto. I mean, systems are important too, but, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, we've, we've seen like such great benefits just with meeting meeting great people and the loyalty between us. So, uh, so, tell, so tell us a little bit about now what you see as the biggest opportunity on Amazon. Uh, why did you go on Amazon? Why not just set it through your website? We actually, our business started off as an Amazon business. Uh, so we had a friend, again, kind of a, kind of a networking thing, a friend who was working with my fiance and business partner in, in a whole different, uh, whole different industry. And she was an Amazon seller and she knew I had my animal rescue and it's nonprofit. It's a small nonprofit. Um, so finances were always a struggle. We were funding it out of our pocket constantly. So she suggested, Hey, like, why don't you start a little, you know, a little Amazon business? Maybe it can fund your rescue. And it ended up turning into like a full scale business, which we weren't expecting. Um, so we started on Amazon and Amazon's been great to us and great for us. So we've just continued to grow our presence there. Um, we do sell off Amazon as well. Like we do have our own website. We're on different platforms as well. Um, but our like 90, 90%, I would say of our revenue is coming from Amazon. Well, cool. So uh, do you use FBA or FBM on Amazon? We use FBA. Um, we use FBM in certain situations, um, which I, you know, I can go into more detail on that if you'd like, but we do, we do use FBA. And uh, what are those circumstances to use FBM? Um, mainly we started noticing it during the pandemic. So when COVID started and Amazon was like, okay, we're going to focus on, um, you know, household goods and PPE getting out. So they were limiting everyone's inventory, like everyone's um, storage limits in their FBA warehouses. Um, and right around that time also rolled into Christmas time, which is our peak season. So with the, with the storage limits and them also not wanting to really focus on things that weren't essential goods, um, they really cut our limits and we couldn't through FBA fulfill all the orders that we normally get during that season. So we had to switch to FBM. Um, that storage limit thing has stuck. Um, so they still have the, the storage limits implemented. So, you know, again, Christmas just happened. Uh, we needed to switch to FBM when they wouldn't let us 
hold as much as we needed to. So we covered this in one of the uh, episodes. Uh, how do you create both FBA and FBM listing for the same item? Because it's uh, it's the same product, same ASIN, right? But you yeah. actually, it's yourself, but it's two listings. Uh, walk us through the, the mechanics of that so that people have an idea. So I'd have to look at the wording exactly. Um, but when you're on your manage inventory page, when you look all the way to the right, there's an edit button. If you hit that edit button, I believe it says something like create duplicate product or God, it's like the second yeah, or third well, one down. The, the, the common denominator. So imagine that you have a bunch of resellers and they're selling the same item. They'll all be on the same page, right? So, but everybody is linked to the same listing by using the same UPC. So basically you create another listing, but you use the same UPC. So it gets attached to the same ASIN. So there you have your FBA and FBM. Yes. And luckily we are brand registered. So we don't have any buy box competition or anyone. We're also like, we're trademarked. Our, our products have their trademark on it. So no one's able to actually sell the exact same product that we do. So luckily we don't have to compete with everyone using the same PC and jumping on the same, same ASIN. So it really is just us there. And then creating that, um, that other FBM uh, listing that really kind of clicks into effect once we're sold out in the FBA warehouses. Yeah. So you touched something important again for those who are listening. Um, tell us about brand registry and what it takes to get on it and what does it offer you? Why do it? If you own the brand and you have your trademark, why do you need to be on brand registry? Yeah. So, yeah. So exactly. You kind of hit on that to get on, um, to get brand registered. You do have to have a trademark um, and, you know, your, your, your brand there. We love it because we don't have to compete for the buy box. I mean, we do sell a couple of products that aren't falling under our brand, you know, things that aren't in the pet industry. Um, and we have to compete for the buy box there. So we just see the difficulty in that. So with the, with the um, brand registry, you don't have another price point you're competing against. You know, if you want to sell your product at $20.99, there's no one else selling it at $16.99 that's going to steal all your sales. Um, every once in a while, we have had someone jump on our listing and claim to sell our products. And what we'll do is we'll purchase their product, send it or, you know, take pictures and send them to Amazon and say like, hey, look, like this person's claiming that they're selling our product. It's clearly not our product. We're brand registered, we're trademarked um, and Amazon will, will remove them. Um, so it's actually a beautiful thing. Yeah. So, um, and plus you get access to all the analytics, right? Oh, yeah. You know, for your brand. In addition, you get to have the, what they call A plus pages. And uh, yes. only if you are brand registered, you can upload videos and things like that. So it's a, it's a huge advantage. So oh, um, th there is actually a recent change in this, how Amazon does it. In the early days, early days being like maybe three months ago, <laughs> they, you know, everything is always changing. You had yes. to have registered trademark in order to get on brand registry. Mm -hmm. Now they don't need that anymore. You just oh. need to give, you can apply and USPTO will issue a serial number and you can just submit that serial number and without your registration being complete, they will accept you into brand registry. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't know that. But I mean, that's that's great for any new sellers or anyone who's been wanting to get into brand registry. Yeah. And also, you know, you may have more brands you are creating and you don't need to wait. They also had this IP accelerator, which, you know, was the Amazon network of lawyers that Amazon pre-negotiated the rates. If you went through Amazon's IP accelerator, you would get your invite to brand registry without completing your trademark registration. But I think they made noise. They, they probably, I'm just guessing now that right. you know, why you, uh, this is nepotism, why your network so that you allow them by somebody else because there is no difference. So now they apparently opened it up. As long as you have a serial number, your application is official, they'll accept you into brand registry. Oh, that's great. Because yeah, I would definitely recommend anyone that can get into brand registry yeah. to definitely so do it. There is a fine point here though. Uh, so you mentioned that there was somebody selling and then you bought the product and then you reported to Amazon. Mm -hmm. 
that means that you ought to be watching the buy box all the time because you never know, right? These things happen yep. online. So uh, how do you monitor your buy box position? I basically, um, and maybe this is an old school way too, but I basically, I go on my listings at least every other day, if not every day, and just scroll really quick and look at the buy box, to be honest, and, and see if there's somebody else. If it says, oh, like two sellers are selling your product, you know, you click on it, see who the seller is. And then I just report them right away to Amazon or, or buy the product first and wait and then report them. Um, that's, that's how I do it. And uh, so how many listings do you have? We have um, 12. 12. So, uh, and these are 12. Do you have variations on it? We have variations that, in that includes the variation. So we have two products that have two variations each. Um, so I know, you know, that would not be an optimal way to do that when you're someone that has like 300 SKUs. Um, but for us, that's yeah, just how it's, I've been checking uh, easier. And also, um, the, the other thing that really goes straight to the bottom line is how your listings are performing in terms of conversion. So um, what is your take on, on that? How do you... Uh, do, do you check the numbers? If so, you know, how often, how do you check how the listings are converting? So that's something that we actually do outsource. So the people who do our PPC also do that. So they kind of actually, yeah, they work hand in hand with, um, with doing our PPC, making sure that aligns with our listing and our listing optimization. Um, Cause you know, like the PPC words that you're using, you got to have those keywords in your listing. So every time they're changing things up, they're going to be changing up our listings as well. And so they're, you know, they're the ones that are really monitoring our listing saying like, Hey, this is converting, or, you know, I think your pictures need to be changed or, um, you know, for example, we had a listing, you know, that we, that we built a while ago, um, kind of in their old algorithm. So, um, things have changed and our bullet points were really long because that's how it used to be. You used to have these long bullet points and now you don't. So, you know, they noticed that for us and they said, Hey, you know, you, your listings aren't converting that well because you have these really long bullet points. So it's not picking out all the keywords because you have so many words in there. Um, so then they would go in and edit that for us. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, conversion is the ultimate thing. So actually I take it back. Um, I had a guest uh, earlier and she worked for a private equity firm uh, and they were in the business of acquiring brands and also building mm -hmm. their own brands. And so she, she, she was presiding over half a billion dollars in sales across wow. several sellers. So uh, she said, you know, everybody talks about you know, PPC, keywords, listing optimization. And she said, there are two things that drive the Amazon business. One is inventory. If you're not able to, she calls it demand planning. Uh, you have to have as accurate demand planning as you can have, Definitely. because without inventory, nothing matters. If you yep. have nothing to sell. Yep. The second thing is conversion rate because your, your uh, ROI on your advertising may be X percent, your average order value. But if you're not converting, then that's really, it's like carrying a bucket of water with holes in it. So, yeah. uh, so and uh, unfortunately that conversion rate data is not available unless you download reports on daily basis mm -hmm. and it changes all the time. Mm -hmm. And the demand planning is we concluded uh, in the end that there is no off the shelf. You have to build your own algorithms. You have to look at several data points. It's a very hard thing to, to really have a system where you know exactly what to have in inventory. It is. Uh, inventory is something that we struggled with for a long time because, um, you know, kind of like what I uh, touched on before, how we just started this business, just thinking it was going to be a small way to help the animal rescue. We weren't expecting things to sell as fast as they did. So we ran into this problem over and over of running out of inventory. And at that point in time, being these new sellers, we didn't know our lead times yet. Uh, we know how long it was going to take to get product over here. So that was just a that was a struggle for a while as a new seller trying to uh to plan your plan your inventory now you know having being a seller for a few years especially in these peak seasons like prime day or you know black friday and the holiday season and things like that we're able to look at our numbers from years past and you know see how much we've grown 
you know, in that current year, and we're able to better predict um, how much inventory we're going to need and how early in the year to order it to make sure we have inventory in our warehouse here uh, in LA that we can send out to FBA fulfillment centers. So this is a good segue to my next, actually, two questions. Both of them are my favorite. One is, when you started the Amazon business, uh, I'm sure you had initial challenges where you had to restructure your operations because Amazon has all these requirements, right? So, and and it it is non-negotiable. You have to go with whatever they want. But really, by that time, you kind of figured out your operation uh, in an entrepreneurial way. You know, mm-hmm. you are creative, you're winging it here and there. But Amazon comes along and says, no, no, this is what you need to do. So tell me about what those initial challenges were. Uh, and then uh, the, the next one is, what are you looking at when you're planning for these peak times, the prime day and shopping season and, and now a post pandemic yeah, period. So what are the, what are the data points you're looking at? How are you getting ready for it? So to be honest with you, the inventory is more my, uh, my fiance and business partners wheelhouse. He really has honed that in. Um, he's the one that does all of our inventory planning um, but what I can tell you, um, you know, so as far as I know, um, kind of what I mentioned before and like looking at past year's data, seeing how much we've sold um, and then like seeing the trends this year, how much we're growing, how much more of that, you know, particular skew we've been selling this year over last year um, and planning ahead on how much we're ordering. We do now, because like you mentioned with the post pandemic and everything, and now that uh, Amazon has kept these um, storage limits in place, that's really, really tricky during these peak seasons. So we like to make sure that our inventory, A, that we have a lot more than we even think that we're gonna need because that way if we need um, to use our 3PL um, in conjunction with FBA for a little bit, or if you know we wanna manually fulfill them ourselves, that we have that in our warehouse ready to go. Um, and also that we have some in our 3PLs ready to go. And we like to get this in really early because you don't know how long it's gonna take, especially around peak seasons and, and prime day. You don't know how long it's gonna take for FBA or Amazon or even the other 3PLs to actually check your stuff in. I mean, you might have a check-in date and your stuff arrives to the Amazon fulfillment centers and you see that, but it it could take weeks to check in. So if you're not prepared super ahead of time and, you know, prime day comes around, like you could miss it if your stuff isn't checked in because there's so many FBA sellers sending stuff in at that time, wanting their, their items checked in. So you just can't, you just can't plan on them checking your stuff in right away. Yeah. So that, this has actually come up several times with other guests where they say that, you know, you you cannot really rely on Amazon to receive in a timely manner. Mm -hmm. So that's when the FBM listing would be very helpful so that you can either divert the orders to your 3PL or you fulfill it yourself until the receiving is complete. Yeah. And actually we're, you know, we're still dealing with that now. Um, It's not even like a peak season right now, but um, we just, you know, we sent a lot in right now. And, and I don't know if it even has anything to do with people's goods being stuck out on the water. And, and when people get them, everyone's rushing their stuff in. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, we've sent some orders in and, you know, typically on an off peak season, they check in in a timely manner for the most part. Um, but they really haven't been right now either. So, again, it's it's not something you can really plan because to me right now, it seems like, OK, why is this taking so long to check in? It's not Christmas time. It's not Prime Day. Um, but you, you never know. Yeah. Well, I can tell you this from my experience many, many years ago, being in logistics business, that it is impossible to know the truth. <laughs> nobody, nobody will tell you. They would like to tell you the truth, but somewhere along the line, truth kind of gets away and they start to, so you never, you never get down to the bottom of it. But you know, there's another reality with this COVID, people are sick. So more and more people are sick. So the workforce, obviously, it's not running at 100% capacity. In addition, with all the incentives, less people want to work. Yes. So you have a shrinking labor pool. And and that shrinking, whatever is left, is 
some of them are out of commission, so it slows things down. But you never know. I mean, also, they hide behind that as an excuse and do things even more slowly. So mm -hmm. tell me about, uh, so tell me about the, initially when you started for anybody who's looking to start selling on Amazon, what should they be prepared for? What, what are the things that are non-negotiable? How should they structure their operations? So what I like to tell people, and I don't have a, a number for this because I think it really depends on what product you're selling, what industry you're in, but, you know, have your budget of what you're going to initially invest in your first, um, you know, your first batch of products. But what we ran into, because we learned this the hard way, you really have to have other money set aside for your next reorder. Like we sold so much faster than we thought we were going to that we were like, okay, well, we don't have the money yet. We don't have the profits back from our Amazon sales yet, yet we need to reorder in China now. And at this point in time, we didn't have a sourcing agent who we had this relationship with that would just front us stuff. So we, you know, you needed that money to keep your business going. And when you run out of stock, as you I'm sure know, and everyone's learned this the hard way, you lose ranking super fast. And it's hard to build that ranking. If you, you want to be on that page one, that page two, and to get there takes blood, sweat and tears. And then to run out of your inventory and maybe not have funds to get your next batch of inventory you're just dropping and dropping and dropping and by the time you get your profits in or, or your money back to reinvest in another order you now you're going to have to build your ranking back up again and it's just a vicious cycle so it's just something like i like to always tell people and friends who start an amazon is like make sure you have a little bit of money left over over here so that you can get reorder your next your next order so you you touched on something that is hard to understand because it's hard to understand a lot of people don't make it priority but everything comes back to it and that is how much money you are generating in profits versus how much inventory you are you have to finance yes to have continuity in your sales because if you don't have that continuity, you will take a hit on yep. your rank. So knowing that is one thing, but executing is another because that's where things get complicated because you are holding inventory probably at your 3PL location. You may have a little warehouse of your own uh, where you hold inventory. Plus you hold inventory at Amazon, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, that means that you need to know the value, cash value of the inventory in all these locations. At the very least, you, have, you will have inventory in two locations. It's yeah. either your warehouse mm -hmm. and FBA or 3PL and FBA. Yep. So, and this is not something, so I ask people, how do you know how much stock you're holding? And they say, oh, well, we just go count it. And that changes all the time. So you need to know real time how much, not only how much you are holding globally, you know, FBA plus other locations, but also how much is in the pipeline that you've already ordered. Yes. And how much you, you need to be ordering. So, and, and what is the finance cost compared to how much, net profit that you are generating. So if you are holding $100,000 worth of inventory and you're generating $30,000 a month, that means it's going to take you three months to finance. It. And that's where you get in trouble, right? Is that you your do. experience? You do. And, and also something that was like a blow to me as a, as a new seller, and I think it might be to others as well, is you don't also realize with FBA, like how much Amazon's, I mean, there's calculators to, to figure it out. But if you don't know that ahead of time, Amazon takes a big chunk of, of fees um, for their FBA fulfillment services. And so you might be thinking, oh, like I'm going to get, you know, X amount of profit off of this item and you're not taking into account that. Mm -hmm. So when you're getting your money back, um, once Amazon gives you your deposit, 
it might not be as much as you think because you didn't factor that in. That was us anyway, but we kind of went into Amazon like super blind. Um, some people I'm sure are more educated going into it than we were. Um, so we didn't really think it was going to be this big business that it turned into. Uh, but that was definitely something like, wow, okay, they do take a big amount of fees out that we're not getting back. So we can't count on that chunk uh, to reinvest. So uh, so this is, this is another moving part that is not so easy. Uh, it's the settlement report, because what you are talking about is really accounting for your settlement report in, a, in an accurate way. And what that means mm-hmm. is a lot of sellers that I know, they take that net deposit that they receive into their bank account and they book that as their revenue and they, they think that this is how much they're making. But that is only a percentage of it. So you have to book the gross sales, you have to book the returns, the refunds, the fees, so that you can see percentage-wise, you know, where you are, right? That's the, the right way to do it. That is. And that's what like the, I feel like the best decision I did was to like outsource her bookkeeping. Cause I was trying to do that. Like my fiance was an accountant, um, you know, in his former life. Uh, so we were doing that all ourselves and eventually it just got to be, there's so many little things like you said, like returns and, and refunds and all these little things that you're like, Ooh, like I'm just, you know, I'm making this big chunk, but like maybe you're not. Um, so hiring that bookkeeper to like, you know, monthly show us exactly what we're making and where everything's coming out of and, you know, taking our Amazon and our, you know, all our other platforms that we sell on and putting it together is just extremely helpful. And I wish that I didn't wait so long for that to do that because it is very helpful to see exactly where your money is going well, and where can, it is. You can make business decisions based on the, the information you're seeing. Yeah. So uh, this is a, a good segue to my next question, another favorite of mine. So what is, tell me about your team. What, what is, and I'm asking in terms of roles, like who does what, uh, not necessarily a specific individual, but what, what should you be paying special attention to as, as a function? Like for example, listings, the, the information on listings, inventory planning and PPC. And so what are those functions that you you separate distinctly? And what do you do in-house and what do you outsource? And knowing what you know today, uh, what would you recommend for someone starting new? Uh, It's hard when you're starting new because you don't have a lot of funds available yet to outsource everything you might want to. So in the beginning, like I was messing around with PPC. And I, and I, I still do our listings. Um, I do write our initial listings and do keyword research and everything in the beginning. Um, you know, eventually as Amazon's algorithms change and they always are, um, that's where, you know, our PPC people, like I mentioned before, uh, will come in and make sure that our listings are, you know, aligned right with what they're doing for the PPC. Um, but it's just knowing your strengths, honestly, like I, tried to do PPC and was failing miserably and really didn't even understand it as much research as I was doing. So eventually we're like, okay, you know, like our first big uh, investment needs to be into an agency that knows PPC. And we watched our business. Um, I mean, we, we were very lucky in that we didn't really do any advertising in the beginning and we were growing and growing and growing. And, and I think it might have to do with the fact that we, you know, a large percentage of our profits are donated to the nonprofit rescue. And I think people like knowing that, that they're helping to support a rescue. Um, but once we did outsource to um, a PPC agency, like we just watched our business grow. Um, and it also took stress off of our plate so we can focus on other things, um, you know, like learning the inventory and inventory management. Um, so yes, yeah, so we uh, outsource our PPC. Um, oh, also like photography, super important. Um, I was doing all, I'm not a photographer and I was doing all of our photography on my iPhone. And it just, you know, I thought it looked good. And then I compared it to like professional pictures and I was like, okay, this is crap. (laughs) So, um, so now we have a photographer, um, a constant photographer and he does all of our images and and everything's consistent. Our text on there is consistent. Um, So I think that's a huge thing because your pictures are very important. Same with, um, you know, creating video content for ads. Um, I tried to do that myself um, and I thought I might do a good job because, you know, I had a major in communications, didn't really do a good job. <laughs> um, so just knowing your strengths and, um, and knowing 
yeah, it might be painful in the beginning, especially as a newer seller to outsource things and to pay for things you think you can do yourself. But I promise when you have people doing it right, it makes such a huge difference and you'll see that come back to you like tenfold. So um, how about, um, so you mentioned you had a bookkeeper. So that's also an outsource position, I see. Yep. Yep. So uh, how do you deal with all the other red tape with sales taxes and things like that it's all down to the bookkeeper i also have um a cpa so um cpa you could have a cpa who does your bookkeeping also but we had started off with this bookkeeper who actually we found on upwork um are you familiar with um that sure. platform yeah. um that's great we found some some really talented people on there so we've been using him and he's been doing a great job and he's just familiar with our business so by the time we went and got an accountant um we just figured, okay, we'll just send over the bookkeepers, P and L's and balance sheets over to the accountant to, to take a look at and, and do all the taxes and the sales taxes and all of that for us. Mm -hmm. So Upwork is a, is a very popular platform where you can find a lot of freelancers. So when you search uh, talent, are you searching specifically for Amazon and how, because, you know, finding the right person is, is very hard. And also, when you find these people knowing that you found the right person is, is that is that another challenge so what do you look for in people um definitely if they have amazon experience and other e-commerce platforms uh experience as well because it is very different um i mean i'm not an accountant i can't really tell you details about that but i do know we were using an accountant that was not familiar with e-commerce and it just was kind of a mess we actually had to find a new um accountant who I actually also found on Upwork and he basically had to like redo everything because um, he knows how to read the Amazon tax forms and, and he knows what to look for in there and, and other and other uh, e-commerce platforms. So I do just make sure that they've had experience in e-commerce and in Amazon taxes. Yeah. So, um, so at the end of the day, you know, I, I heard you, um, lists several different functions first of all obviously inventory planning mm -hmm. and you do that yourself in-house mm -hmm. because there is really no other way and then you have the content management or catalog management if you want to call it that um, so two aspects of that there is the material which is pictures and videos mm -hmm. and there is the actual managing of the the, the listings so I'm, I'm assuming you manage the listings yourselves, but uh, you get people to produce the material professional. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. Yeah. And then you have your uh, PPC, your paid advertising, mm -hmm. and that's outsourced. Yes. And uh, would you recommend anybody to do it themselves, learn it and do it? <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't want to say a hard no, um, but that's a whole nother world. I mean, that's something yeah. you really need to understand and it's constantly changing like the methods for it and the strategies, like things that were effective a few months ago are not effective anymore. Um, yeah. and if you're willing to keep up on that, I mean, I, I think that's a full-time job. So if you're really focused on that, I don't think you're really focusing on growing your business. I think that outsourcing that is a smart move to scale your business. Anything to do with numbers, unless you are a numbers person, it's best to outsource, right? So <laughs> definitely just yeah. having someone do it and, and seeing it in front of you and, and being able to understand it. And there's, there's things that our bookkeeper pulls from our Amazon reports that I would have never thought to even look at. Um, so yeah, I would highly recommend having exactly. someone that knows numbers. So, um, so Tell us where is Pacific Pops today and what are your goals? And I, I don't need revenue goals, uh, but I, in terms of multiples, because a lot of people uh, wonder, okay, how far can this go? Uh, I remember when I was selling on Amazon, uh, we, we, at the beginning, it was terrible for us. We got thrown out uh, six weeks. We were suspended and and then uh, they assigned somebody and then we came back and, mm -hmm. and about three months after that, uh, we were told that, oh, we're very satisfied with your performance. So you, you, you're doing really well. And then, because I was determined, I built systems and then the operations started scaling, mm -hmm. scaling like tripling all the time. And 
and I said to the category manager, I said, how far can we go in this category? And, you know, at the time, I think we were getting 300 orders a day. Okay. And um, she said, I cannot give you numbers. We don't do that. But all you need to know is you are doing beyond what we expect. That's so by always the time nice I, to hear from them. <laughs> yeah, but by the time I was done, two years later, we were doing 2,000 orders a day. Wow. So That's clearly, amazing. you know, so, so what are your goals? What are what, what is the multiples that you're looking to achieve over the next uh, two, three, five years? Uh, we, we want to forex our business from where it is now. Um, that's our goal. Like we actually just sat down with, um, an agency that we are hoping to work with actually someone that we met on the cruise, um, and kind of went through that with them. And we think that we'll be able in the next year or two to forex, um, just changing some things. Uh, we weren't familiar with some of the new algorithms that were holding us back. Um, so just learning these things, I think we can do that. I mean, last year, from last year to this year, or actually, I'm sorry, from, yeah, 2020 to 2021, we grew 18%. And we had just started advertising then. So I think we're kind of just at the tip of the iceberg with what we're doing, because we were kind of, to be honest, like on autopilot for a little bit. And we're just, I mean, we were on it every day, but I think with how much we scaled from when we started, we were kind of lucky in that sense. Um, not everyone sees that growth in the first few years, and they don't really know what they're doing. Yes. So now that we have this PPC team that we started working with last year and this, you know, this new agency that we're, that we're looking to work with. Um, we want to add in new SKUs. A lot of our SKUs right now are kind of along the same lines as each other. So we kind of want to get into like new, I mean, still in the pet category, but into like new, um, new categories in the pet category. Um, and I think by doing that, by adding these different types and, and new SKUs that we'll be able to grow, um, and, and just, yeah, continuing with, um, bettering our PPC. That's huge. Um, we think that we'll be able to forex it. Yeah. So, uh, Kia, um, I had a, you know, I mentioned earlier, uh, this lady I had as a guest, uh, this private equity firm, uh, they, this is a, this is a legitimate business that has become a, a legitimate activity where mm -hmm. companies being, I should say, brands being acquired. So yes. is that something you are moving towards or do you want to keep this to fund your nonprofit? What are, what is your long-term goal? You know, it's funny that you brought that up. So we have been approached by so many aggregators uh, in the past six months, I would say like at, at least 15, maybe 20 aggregators wanting to acquire our company. And it was nothing that we had ever even considered in the past. Um, but seeing the demand there and then doing some more research and seeing like, okay, if you want to sell your company, this is a really great time to do it. Mm -hmm. We started to think more about it, talk to some of them just to kind of see what, what it's about. Um, so, you know, we were definitely considering that, but we also think that our company has so much more potential that we could grow it ourselves so much farther than it is and maybe have an even bigger exit down the, down the line. Um, so we're kind of actually figuring that out right now. Like, do we want to think about selling soon? Do we want to continue to grow it and sell later? And one of the things you touched on with being suspended, Amazon's very finicky and you never know when they're going to just cut you off and you right. might not even know the reason. So that's another thing in our head. Well, I mean, like knock on wood, we've been lucky, um, with not having those sorts of issues with Amazon, but like, you never know if you could. So is it smart to get out now or just see where this takes you. So um, we're, you know, we're thinking about that. Whatever decision you make, that is the right decision. So I like that. <laughs> Thank so you. it's a, it's I a to hear that. Yeah, I mean, in business, look, the, the, first of all, it is wrong to be emotionally attached to the business you're building. Definitely. Even though you have to be passionate about it. So it's, it's, a, it's a balance. It so is. that's rule number one. Rule number two is it's all about valuations. Mm -hmm. you, you, you have to get out when the valuations are high. Yes. And, and then put the money to better use or whatever, uh, because there is no, I mean, the valuations go up and down, up and down. So um, mm -hmm. you know, suddenly, and, you know, I remember when I started an internet business, it, all you had to do was just be, 
create a company, as long as it had .com in it, you would find $10, $10 million in funding. Right. There was no revenue, no nothing. And then three years after that, the whole thing fell apart. Uh, so it, uh, technology became a curse word. So you never know. Um, so uh, my last question is always uh, the same. So if you could wish one thing for Amazon to change in their policy for sellers, what would that be? Like the customer service. <laughs> <laughs> seller or yeah, seller help, seller support. And I know, like you said before, you know, people are working from home. There's not many people working right now, but I just feel like it's very hard to get any straight answers from anyone. They always want to push you to a new team, a team that can't be contacted by phone. Um, so you're just kind of sitting there and you're getting this scripted answer that's not answering the question that you had. Um, I just think if they had, you know, some more just more focused customer service, like that actually is going to help you and not just read from a script and then close your case. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That, that's what I would wish for them. Cause I love Amazon. They've done great for us. Um, but that's, that would be like the main yeah. thing that I would love if they could work on. You know, this, this has the, uh, I'm going to start publishing the, the results of what people say. This is, <laughs> this is the top issue that people come. Is from. it? Yeah. I believe so, it. Um, so that's great, Kia. So tell us about uh, yourself. Who is Kia Hagen? Uh, we know your passion is pops, but uh, yeah, what, what else do you do? Where do you live? You are in California. So tell us about, you know, what else you do outside of your work? Yeah. Um, so I'm originally from New York, uh, moved to Los Angeles for the beaches and the weather. Um, so I do like to go there as much as possible. Um, I have three dogs right now. Uh, one of mine just passed away about a month ago. We had four. Um, they love the beach. So we go to the dog beach here on Long Beach all the time. Um, that's something that we enjoy. But um, yeah, like the rescue is basically 24 seven for us. We, um, we bring in dogs of all sizes, ages, breeds, medical issues. Um, we do adoption fairs to get them, um, you know, help them find their forever homes. We do photo shoots with them um, to try to get them um, seen more. So mostly what I do is with the rescue. Um, on my time off, I'm even doing that. But uh, yeah, we love, like I said, we love the beach. We love to hike here. There's so much great hiking. Um, we actually love traveling. Uh, Nashville is like our favorite place right now. Uh, we just love it over there. With obviously, are you, are you into country music? We, I never liked it until I went there. And now <laughs> I, I like hated it. Right. And now I love it. It's just, uh, it's just like, it's a different feeling when you're surrounded by live country music all the time. It just, you can't be in a bad mood. Yeah. So how can people find you? Give us your website. We, we will publish this on our website and also on YouTube. But uh, give us your website and also on LinkedIn, uh, how people can reach you personally. Perfect. Uh, yeah, so PacificPupsProducts.com is for our products. PacificPupsRescue.com is the rescue. Um, I mainly use the rescue social media, even for um, the products. So that's just at Pacific Pups Rescue. That's on uh, Instagram and on Facebook. Um, you can also always email me at PacificPupsProducts at gmail.com. Great. Great. Thank you very much, Kia. This is uh, very valuable. You created something out of your passion and then uh, you're doing good in the process. That's everybody's uh, dream, really. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate that. Thank you. So this brings us to the end of another episode and I'll see you guys later. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends.